0: In this uh, in this political climate, with uh, different speeches and different um, debates that are happening, uh, you hear this language of fact checking a lot to make sure that what the person's saying from uh, from on stage is, is accurate accurate to the truth. Uh, last week, I mentioned uh, this this marathon, an ultra marathon in, in Australia, and I mentioned that it was a, a guy named Bill who ran this marathon, and some of you googled it and couldn't find it. A uh, fact checker came to me and uh, posted something on my on my wall and said his name was Cliff Young. Okay, Cliff Young is the name of the guy who ran that marathon. Uh, the way that he shuffled along in his cowboy in his in his boots and his overalls is now called the Cliff Young shuffle. As you run ultra marathons, it's, it's it's become quite a thing apparently. Uh, but I mentioned that. Uh, mentioned Cliff Young as a way of uh, illustrating two very important thoughts, that the best training for the hard times in life is what we do in the everyday, ordinary moments of life. But at the same time, the one who won the race was the one who kept on going, running through the darkness. I think it's important because part of what I do uh, as a pastor and part of what I do here, in addition to what you see me do, uh, throughout the week I spend some time with people and, and listen to their stories and listen to their uh uh, the things going on in their lives, either at coffee shops or at uh, over lunch or over dinner or at home or at church or something and and uh, more than half the time it 's someone or some people or some couple or some family who 's going through dark times right? hard times and The encouragement from guys like Cliff Young is we keep on running through the darkness. What do you do when you feel like you 're going through the dark? Yeah, you keep on running. Why? Because there is a hope and a promise, as faithful as the morning sun, that one day morning light will come. Right? We keep on running through the darkness. Why? Because I can see a light by faith that is coming to the heart that holds on. There will be an end to these troubles, and until that day comes, still I will praise you and I will cling to you in the darkness, because I know that one day the darkness will be extinguished and it will give way to an inexpressible light. But what do you do? when you feel like every day is darkness. And the prospect of sleep and waking up in the morning is not that exciting because in the morning it still feels like it's night. In fact, it seems like the ordinary days of my life are a continual and seemingly endless succession of dark days in the midst of a difficulty that you've been in for the past two years, three years, six months, whatever the time period might be. It just seems like it's been going on forever, and it seems like it's going to go on forever, whether that be in in our finances. Our bills are going north, and our bank account is going south, and we don't see an end in sight. When everything is falling apart around us, when our hopes and our dreams and our deepest and, and most long-held prayers, long-prayed prayers seem to be answered in not only the way that we don't want but it's things are getting worse and worse and worse and it feels like and the things that i'm praying for the things that i'm longing for the things that i'm hoping for the things that if these changes would happen in my life if only these changes would happen things would be a whole lot easier but it doesn't seem to be getting any easier when darkness seems to prevail and it doesn't seem like there's an end to the seemingly eternal darkness what do you do how do you keep on running through the darkness, when there is no hope that morning light is going to shine over us? What do we do in a situation like that? I talk about that because this morning that's what I want to address through the Word of God. As I spend time over the past couple of weeks talking to different people and hearing the different situations in our lives, I think it's appropriate to deal with this because for some of us in here, I don't know if it's a great many or just the ones that I happen to talk to. Uh, There are some in here who feel like the ordinary days are dark days, and I feel like I'm going through trial and testing and hardship and darkness day after day after day. I want to read just one verse from Malachi chapter 3 today. It's one of my uh, favorites. It's a very poignant verse full of both hardship and challenge, but at the same time comfort and hope. The Bible talks about darkness in a lot of different ways, a lot of different analogies. The Bible calls it a pit, calls it a valley, calls it a, 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 a darkness. Here in Malachi, it's called a fire. Okay, what do we learn? How do we walk through the fire when it seems like the fire is eternal? Malachi chapter three, uh, verse three. Uh, Malachi writes about God saying, he will sit as a refiner of, and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. Okay, this is God's word. Let me read it again. Right, God will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites, okay, the people of God, those who serve God, and refine them like gold and silver. The result? Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. This is God's word. I don't know how many of us feel like the fire is an appropriate analogy to where we are in life today or where we are in life these days. But if we are, the teaching of Malachi that we've just read is instructive for us to not only know how we can endure the fire, but how we can even more experience God in the midst of the fire. When your ordinary days have you in the furnace of affliction, even then, maybe especially then, we can still experience God in a way that is far deeper than we may originally think. What do we see here? The first thing that we see here, first thing that we see, God will not leave you as you go through the fire. God will not leave you as you go through the fire. Hey, I, I think one of the things in, as I think about the trials and the fire of, of life, none of us really like fire. We know it's danger. I mean, unless you're a pyromaniac and you're like Beavis and, and, and his friend in the old days who like fire. Um, fire is a bad thing that's why we parents will tell our kids don't touch the oven or don't get near the fire because we know how destructive fire is we know how powerful it is how painful fire can be and so a lot of times when we're going through the fire it can feel like we're going through hell and don't say that in a colloquial term like some people use that word um, literally it seems like sometimes we're going through hell when we're in the midst of the fires of affliction, when we've been laid off and our finances are piling up, when we got a, a diagnosis, a doctor's report of somebody in our family, unexpected, we thought it was just a simple thing, regular routine checkup, only to realize that the is blown up everywhere. And whatever it is that we're going through, it seems like what the Bible would describe as a fire of affliction, it feels like we're going through hell. But can I tell you the difference between what you're enduring and what the Bible talks about hell being? The only difference that in the midst of the fires that we experience, God is present with us. They're very definite, the very essence of hell. If you want to break it all down, if heaven is the presence of God, then hell is the absence of God. Sometimes the fire feels like hell, but the only difference which makes all the difference in the world is that as you go through the fire, the promise of God is that He is with you. Okay, look at what it says in verse 3. First thing it says is He will sit as a refiner and purifier. It doesn't say He will, He will stand, He will stir, He will refine. It says He will sit, meaning He's not going anywhere. In your fire, understand this, my friends, that God is sitting with you, that he hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you because the first thing that we might think when we're going through a prolonged season of being in the furnace, we might think that God has left me. Where is God He's nowhere to be found. Everywhere I look, all I see is fire. I can't see God in the midst of this. The temptation is to think that God has left us, but the promise of Malachi here is that he's sitting with you. He is with you. Whether you see him or not, he's there with you, and he has never left you, and he never will. But we need to understand this, because this is the one thing that's going to get us through the challenges and the hardships and the fires of life when they inevitably come. When our parents are fighting so much and they take that out on us, he sits with you in that fire. When the, the illness and the sickness because of things that have happened in your uh, earlier days come raging at you, he sits with you in the midst of that fire. When everything that you have hoped for begins to fall apart and everything is being stripped away from you, he sits with you in the midst of the fire. And this is the one thing that we need to know in the midst of the fires that we go through in life. This happens sometimes at, at our house. The kids will ask Olivia to make uh, some pasta. I want pasta, mommy, I want pasta. And so mom, Olivia will set a pot and she'll put water in there and she'll turn on the heat. And then as that's happening, uh, someone in one of the bedrooms will say, mommy, I need you, come over here, quickly this is like life and death situation. She runs over there and they're like, can you open this Play-Doh case for me or something? Mommy, I need you. And so she runs over. And then all of a sudden, as I'm sitting in the living room, which is next to the kitchen, I hear coming out of the kitchen. And Olive hears it. She's like, oh my gosh, can you turn off the water? Take 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 the pot off the heat. So I run over there. And this is what usually happens. I get over there and I Lower the heat as I remove the pot from the stove. But this is interesting. The water starts talking to me. This is crazy. This doesn't happen all the time, but it's happened the last few times. The water said to me, what happened? What happened? I said, what do you mean? I said, where where were you? I said, I'm so sorry. You know, sometimes, sometimes Olivia and I forget about you. We're so sorry. Like, don't you know how hot the fire is? Don't you understand? It got so hot, I had to jump out. I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't stand the heat, so I had to get out of the kitchen. That's what it said. And then this is what he said. This is, so, this is, like, this is what convicted me the most. He says, couldn't you just sit with me while I was going through the fire? Couldn't you just sit? Because the worst feeling in the world is be going through the fire and to feel like we've been abandoned. But the Word of God and the promise of God is He will sit with you as He refines you in the fire. This is something that, you know, if you talk to people who've been through these things and come out of it, countless people will say, you know what? Instead of where most people would say, you know, you're going through that trial, you're going through that hardship. must be so hard. You must be hating God. You must be questioning God. The testimony of so many people, you talk to people here, you talk to people who've experienced it, you talk to people in the Bible when you get to the other side of glory, but you read their testimonies. It's something strange that happens. The paradox of the fire is that so many people would say, you know what, in fact, it's in the midst of the fire that I experience God's presence in a way that I haven't experienced Him anywhere else in the world. you believe that? Have you heard people talk like that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the midst of the fire, three people thrown into the furnace in the book of Daniel, there was a fourth person in that fire to protect them. It was God with them in the fire. God told the people of the children of Israel, when you walk through the fire, I will be with you. When you pass through the fire, I will be with you. It was these countless people. It was Job's testimony as he goes through the fire of losing everything. Everything. He says at the end of Job, he says, you know what, God, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Like I've seen you in the midst of the fire in a way that no other experience in life could show me. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts at us in our pain. You could talk to countless people who said it was when I was sickest. That God's intimacy was the nearest. He talked to people, said, "When I was persecuted the hardest, that's when God's presence was the closest to me." I don't know how many of you are. I know some of us are, but are, are are tracking the story of a young, beautiful, seven-year-old girl named Ava Brightly out in Chicago. She's got two little siblings, Gwen and Jude. Her father, Mike, is a pastor in the Chicago area. Mother, uh, Esther. Mom to the children has a part of an online business. Uh, she's been blogging this two years ago when Ava was five years old. Went in the doctor uh, for what looked like seemed like a routine skin infection. Multiple tests in many different hospitals. Later they found out that she had a very aggressive form of leukemia, and her days on earth were numbered. Uh, her mom Esther's blog. I think it's called for the for Ava and for the glory of God. There's a, a Facebook. A uh, page called Team Brighter Days. Thousands of people are following the story. Countless people are praying. Many ups and downs in the story. There are times where it looks like they're turning a corner only to, to, to read about uh, Ava's sick again. She's complaining of this and that. And they, they take another test and they find that the cancer has spread and it's metastasized into many different areas. Recently, the doctor said there's nothing more that can be done for this seven-year-old girl. And if you read their blogs, it's a powerful testimony of the hope and the faith. This one young, little, seven-year-old girl. Countless times over the past two years, she's been on the doorstep of eternity. Doctors said there's, that her, her levels are too low. She's not going to make it through the night, through the week. Emergency alert goes out. People praying around the world. And... By the grace of God, she lives another day, and this blog is filled with videos of Ava on her hospital bed, hair loss because of the chemo. 10,000 reasons, thinking God is so good. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. You can take all this world, just give me Jesus. The powerful testimony of hope that in the hospital room, Becoming a place where God's presence is so powerfully felt by everyone who encounters. Every time, man, we, uh, I have to go away from uh, Olivia when I read this blog because I don't want to be a mess when I read it. Some days just hoping such expectation to hear good news, to hear how God has answered prayers, and other days to the, 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 the ups and downs of, of fighting with, with childhood cancer and leukemia. Jeremy Lynn has caught a hold of this story and has been blogging about it, talking about it. But uh, more than anything else, it's a powerful testimony to, to faith. And I want to read what, uh, what uh, Ava's mom wrote last week in one of the blog posts about uh, this very thing. It says, uh, In the hospital, as Ava, as she's been racked with pain, can't, uh, she, she's sleeping most of the day, feeding tube in her, it says, Ava... I had a moment of spontaneous worship yesterday after her pain subsided. Lately, I've been thinking about how good God has been to us in this wild and desperate time. Can you imagine this? You've got a five-year-old daughter goes in to get a skin infection checked out, and you come back with the news that she's got leukemia. You've got a younger daughter also. You're pregnant with your third child, and you're wrestling through all this. And she says... I've been thinking about how good God has been to us in this wild and desperate time. I was blessed to grow up with a strong foundation of faith that my parents helped me build from early on. And for as long as I can remember, I have known God's goodness. Even during this unspeakable time, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Every need is provided for, even before we make it known. We have been shown deep and extravagant love from so many of you. This is all part of the bounty that God has given us. Today there is one more thing I want to add to our never-ending list of thankfulness. Because of this trial, we have also come to know God outside of the box we created for Him. In these last three years, I have known the Jesus who wept. I have walked in the presence of the God of the brokenhearted. I have felt the peace of the Spirit That surpasses all understanding. And though we face the reality of death every day, I have never felt more alive. Surprisingly, through this ugly time when it would seem easier to say God has abandoned us, we have found that God has never been closer, kinder, more gentle and more good than he has been to us now. It is amazing grace indeed. Therefore, even from a hospital bed, our lips should not stop lifting up praises. God is so good. This is not an easy revelation. I've wrestled with him day and night over this. I have shaken my fist and cursed my life. I have laid on the floor and threatened to never get back up. I've told my friends that losing Ava will make me useless for the rest of my life and I'm sure the struggle is still not over yet, but one day as easy as pie, my girl Ava told me that God is good even in her illness. No situation will change this truth, not even death. In fact, his goodness is shown most perfectly there. I'd encourage you to get on that blog if you you feel down in the dumps you feel like you don't have a song to sing and read this and understand that in those times when God seems most conspicuously absent, that's when God is actually most powerfully present. When your ordinary days are dark days in the midst of the fire, that's where you'll find God. You'll encounter Him. You'll experience Him in that place. First thing is God will not leave you when you go through the fire. Second thing that we see, is that going through the fire proves your worth to God. Again, the temptation is not only to think that God has abandoned me in the fire, but that God must not love me if I'm going through this fire. Okay, I, I grant you that God may be with me, but maybe I've done so much bad that he doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me. Yeah, he's there because it's his promise. He's faithful and he won't turn back on his promise. But could it be that God doesn't care about me anymore? That, yeah, he sits with me because he's supposed to, but maybe he just doesn't care about me anymore. That's a temptation that we might feel when our long prayed prayers continue to go unanswered. That's what we might feel when darkness turns to an even greater darkness. That's what we might feel when six months goes on to a year and we feel like we're not going to be able to get up from under this mess. What do we do when we're in that place? The promise of God is that not only will he not leave you, but the fact that you're going to the fire shows you how much you're worth to God. What does that mean? It says here in verse 3, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. What do we know about gold and silver? I know we just uh, had turned the page on the Rio Olympics. I don't think any Olympian who left their home and left their family to go to Rio said to them, honey, children, I love you guys. I love you guys. I'm going to miss you. When I come back, I'm going to bring home the bronze. And nobody said that. When I come back, I'm going to bring home the gold. I'm going for the gold. Nobody says, I'm going for the bronze. Nobody says that. Why? Because nobody wants to be number three. They want to be number one. And what goes to number one? To the best athlete. Go the best spoils. To the best athlete goes the most precious of medals. The gold medal. The silver medal. Then say, okay, uh, first place, there goes Michael Phelps again, greatest swimmer in the history of the world. Excellent. Usain Bolt, greatest runner in the history of the world, breaking all kinds of records with 15 aluminum medals around his neck. I <laughs> don't say that. 15 cardboard medals around. Yeah, this is the ghetto Olympics. now. 15 tin metals made out of tin cans that harvest people turned in for their food drive, recycled into this. They use the most precious of metals because the best deserve the best. When God says, you're sitting in the refiner's fire, it doesn't say God is sitting to refine the aluminum or the copper or the gold or even the bronze. It says, I only refine The things that are precious, the gold and the silver. Nobody goes, Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing in that, with that refining, that crucible? Oh, I'm refining the copper. Nobody does that. Or I'm refining the aluminum. I'm refining this cardboard into becoming like stronger card. You, You only, you only do that to the metals that are really worthy. God says, Who am I sitting with? I'm sitting with the gold and the silver because they're the ones, they're the ones that are worth refining. And What is God saying? If you're going through the fire because you're precious to Him. He doesn't put through the fire the unprecious metals that don't count for anything. The only things that actually get put through the fire are the ones that are worth something. The precious metal that is beautiful in the sight of God. You're going through the fire, not because God's left you. It's not because God's abandoned you. It's not because God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. You're not worthy. You're not precious. It's because you are precious, because you are worth something to God, that you're going through the fire. A lot of times that doesn't make sense, but it doesn't make sense to children either. Why we as parents would subject them to some of the hardships that they go through. They don't understand it's for their good. Why are you telling me I can't eat chicken and nuggets all day long? That's like the best thing in my life. You tell them, no, you can't because there's a better purpose for it. Because we love you too much that we cannot give you whatever you want. We withhold these things from you, not because we don't love you, not because you're not precious, but because you are precious, that's why we give these things to you. That's why you have to get your shots at the doctor's office so you don't get measles, mumps, rubella, tetanus, all of these things. The reason we inflict that on you is not because we don't care. Because we do care, because we do care. In fact, if we didn't care, we wouldn't put you through the fire. I've illustrated this in the past by saying, uh, as I was growing up, when I was growing up, I used to collect stuffed animals. Whenever I'd go to a, a, a theme park, amusement park, collect stuffed animals. Uh, we'd get them at at gift exchanges for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't think I really liked them that much, but like you know, we'd have white elephant Christmas gift exchanges, and always always would want to take like the Papa Smurf doll or. The different, you know, oh, that that tiger called Trevor. I want to take him. And so I would have in my in in our guest room at home in Virginia about 40 different stuffed animals. Like it was like I I didn't I don't know why I had them. I just did, but I had them. But there was one amongst all of the stuffed animals that I actually liked. Actually, dare I say, uh, I loved my Snoopy more than anything else. My white beautiful Snoopy, wherever. I went, Snoopy would follow me. So he would obviously sleep with me when I was just a little you know, 19-year-old kid. <laughs> just, when I was a baby I would, or when I was little, like, Snoopy would sleep with me. I would sit him next to me when we would eat. Uh, sometimes I would, when we would go to the, the grocery store, he would sit in the car next to me, and mom wouldn't let me take him into the store, so he would sit on the seat, and I'd come back and, oh, you're so hot. Are you okay? And I would talk to him as if he was a real person. I love Snoopy. During family photos, there would be dad, mom, my brother, me, and Snoopy (laughs) right there because Snoopy was my beloved, precious to me. And because I took him everywhere and I played with him so much and I did this kind of stuff without washing my hands, Snoopy, white Snoopy would become pretty soon gray Snoopy and eventually black Snoopy. And so my mom said, that is toxic and a hazard to all of our family's health. Therefore, we need to wash him in the washing machine." I said, no, Mom, you can't do that because that means I can't sleep with Snoopy that night. And she said, well, we'll do it during the day. When you're at school, I'll throw him in the dryer so that he'll come out clean. So I said, okay, uh, I'm going to school. Wash him and bring him back to me ready when I come home from school. So Mom did that, and I came home. To, I left home saying goodbye to a gray Snoopy, and I came home to a perfectly whitest snow Snoopy. I was so excited. I said, this is great, and I would hug it, and I would love it, and... Until the time came when I actually needed to be home for Snoopy to go through the process of cleaning. My mom turned on the washing machine, poured in the soap, and I said, I want to see Snoopy get a bath. She's like, no, go over there. Go over there. Don't look. I said, no, I want to see Snoopy, and I want to be part of the bathing process. She said, I don't know if you want to watch it, and turned on the water, threw Snoopy in there, and immediately I was like, Mom, he's drowning in that water, He's like, don't worry about it, go over there. And then the cycle would start turning and he would be getting all spun around. And I'm like, dude, what in the heck? And then after the water goes out of it, he was all wrapped around that, that, that thing in the middle. What is this thing called? The agitator, whatever, I don't know what it's called. That, yeah, he was all wrapped around it like his neck was, was tangled around it. And I was like, oh my gosh, what in the world? And the mom's like, just go over there, I'm gonna dry him. And so she set him out, to put him in the dryer, wouldn't work, and so she set him out and he would have to air dry and afterwards when he i was like mom can i hold him now can i hold him now he's too wet you're going to get sick till finally he was dry i said snoopy maybe this is why water talks to me i said snoopy <laughs> i'm so sorry i didn't know i didn't know that's what was going to happen to you i didn't know what that was going to happen to you and that was the process in order to make him clean and i hated it i hated it i hated it but he had to understand one very powerful truth I didn't wash any of the other 40 stuffed animals that I had. Why? Because I didn't care about them. I didn't care that they got dirty. I didn't care that they got nasty. I got cobwebs on them. But the one I actually cared about was the one I was willing to put through the wringer in order to make clean. It wasn't because I didn't care about him that he went through that process. It's because I did care about him that he went through that. We understand that with stuffed animals and with human beings, but we've got to understand that in our relationship with God, it's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he's left us. It's because, precisely because you do matter to God, that he puts you through the fire. Why? Why does he do that? The last thing that we see, the last thing that we have to understand, that God is in control of the fire. God is in control of the fire, and he has a purpose for it. Not only does God sit there, not only is he with us, not only does he love us, but we have to understand there's a purpose for it. Because if we understand that there is a purpose for some hardship, it will help us to endure it. If we don't understand there's a purpose, we're not going to do it. Even though someone's with me, even Olive could be with me wherever I go, even though I'm going through hard times, if I don't see a purpose, I'm not going to want to give up. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, as a statement of purpose. Like there's a reason he's saying, remember the reason. Because without it, we're going to want to give up. A couple weeks ago, I went to, um, let me drink this before I tell you, because this is not a happy thing for me. It is kind of happy, but it's a little bit embarrassing. A couple weeks ago, I went to a baby shower. It was a bait and switch, I think. I was told, no, there will be other men there. I got there, it was like 15 women. The father who was taking pictures of everything, and me. I think the only reason I was invited there was so that someone could pray for the food, and then I would go back to just looking at my phone. There was a, <laughs> there was a Facebook thing, and uh, <laughs> the, the mother had taken pictures and said, thank you, all these ladies, for coming. I was like, I was there too. But in the group photo, I was nowhere to be found. In the pictures of the games, I was nowhere to be found. One picture, like some random candid shot, you see me looking at my phone while everyone else is talking. I said, Olive, look, look, this is what I did the entire time I was there. This is what I was doing. There's a reason for the fire, and so I'm not too upset. But during that time, there was a a game that was played, baby shower games, uh, very fun for ladies, a little bit strange for men. There's a game called Tinkle in the Pot. You know what that game is? Yeah, it's a little bit strange. Um, (laughs) They played outside in the pool area, and they said, come, come. I said, no, thank you. I'm fine with my phone. So they went outside, and I don't know exactly what they did. I saw a big balloon, and I think it was filled with water. They explained it to me, and it sounded very weird, and so I didn't engage in it. But I looked it up just to make sure, just to try and figure out. So in this game, uh, the way that some people do it is they blow up a balloon and they stick it inside of their stomach. Uh, that's not what they did at this party, at this baby shower. They had a big balloon filled with water. It wasn't a water, water wasn't a dinky water balloon. It was a balloon filled with water. So that junk was like heavy, and they carried it. And then between their knees, they put a quarter, right, a quarter between their knees like this, with this like water balloon and they had to waddle over to a jar and they had to drop the quarter into the jar so i remember they explained that to me and i I started feeling all queasy and so i said no thank you i don't i don't want to play that's weird you guys are weird you're strange these are weird like men are really from mars and women are from venus this is strange and so as i sat down with my phone again to engage my phone in a conversation that i wasn't having with the ladies out there. I thought, why are they doing this? This is ridiculous. That's utter, complete torture. Nonsensical. Why would they carry a a big old balloon filled with water and then waddle over with a quarter between their legs? This is silly and utter nonsense. And the whole point of the game was to say, no, this is what people do. And they choose to do this. Not just for 15 yards, but they do this for nine months, that this is what it's like to be a pregnant woman, to carry the weight of a water balloon inside of your stomach, and you cannot set it aside. And women say, I want to do this. Yeah, I want to sign up in order to throw up for three months in a row. I want to sign up so that every different odd smell causes me to gag. Yeah, I want to put on all of this weight and I want to wake up in the middle of the night three times a night to go to the bathroom so I cannot understand the idea of uninterrupted sleep, not only for nine months, but for the next two years also. Yes, I want this. Why? Why would anyone sign up for that kind of torture? Because they see that at the end of nine months, they will lay their eyes on something that they have loved long before they ever set their eyes upon this child. Because there's a purpose for the fire. There's a purpose for the pain and a purpose for the trial. If we know that there's a purpose, we can endure. God tells us here, if there's a purpose for your fire. Let me... Let me explain. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. Here's what he's saying. The reason for the fire is not to burn and is not to destroy. It's to purify and to refine you. Until you look like Jesus, you and I will continue to go through the fire that God puts us through. Because the fire has a way of revealing our impurities to us. Don't you know that in the hard times of life, our true character becomes revealed? And if that true character is not godly, then God will continue to put us in the fire. You know your true character by looking at how you respond when you lose a game. You know your true character when people make fun of you. When you're unjustly criticized. You learn your true character by how you respond when you're late and something is impeding your progress. You learn your true character when you suffer the loss of something, of your reputation, of your pride. You learn your true character because what the fire does is it reveals the impurities. When a crucible has gold in it and the fire is lit and the fire gets turned up, as the temperature rises, so too do the impurities within that gold and the impurities begin to rise. What are the fires in your life these days revealing to you about your character, about your need for growth? When you go through the fire, the question is not, God, why are you doing this to me? But the question is, God, what impurities are you trying to remove from my life? Because not only does the fire reveal, but the fire refines us in order that as the impurities surface, the refiner can scoop out all of the dross in order that the gold might become more and more pure. What is God doing in your life through the fire that is refining you? What are the areas of unChrist likeness that God is refining through the fire in your life? What are the things that are surfacing that God wants to skim off of your life? Because listen, if God's desire, how do you know? How does God know that like God will continue to turn up the fire until he looks in the gold and it becomes so pure that he sees his own face in the molten metal. That's God's great desire for you and for me. That we would look like God. That we would be god Lee. That we would look like his son, Jesus. Ah, Don't brush off the hardships and the fire. God is refining you so that you would be able to bring offerings in righteousness so that we might become more pure, so that we might be able to give God a better offering of our lives, so that we might be able to give a better service to God, so that we might be more effectively used by God. God is refining us through the fire if we would see the work of the refiner in us through every crying child, through every sleepless night, through every broken relationship, through every financial hardship. God is weaning us so that we might become more like Christ. And if the desire of God is that we would look like Christ, then he will put us into situations that Jesus went through in order that we might respond in the way that Jesus did. Situations of loneliness. Betrayal. Loss. Stress insecurities and fears may come our way so that we would lose our identity in this world in order to find it in him. What is God doing in your life? What is he trying to refine and purify in your life? You will not become patient like Jesus until you're put face to face with people who rub you the wrong way like Judas. Maybe that's why you're in the house church that you're in with the people that you're with, right? Don't run from that. How are you going to have a faith that is unshakable in the midst of the storm if that faith is not tested by the storms of your life? How will you be able to worship God when everything is falling apart, if everything doesn't fall apart? Because we can't say Jesus is all I need until he's all we have. And it's only when he's all we have that we can really say he's all we need. And so God has to turn up the fire in our lives. How can we learn what it is to love like Jesus loved if God doesn't put us in the relationship with people that we just want to run away from? Guys, God's great aim in your life and mine is to make us like Jesus. It's not to make us comfortable. It's to make us Christ-like. It's not to make our lives cushy. It's to make our lives fill of character. That's what he wants to do in us. And so he turns up the heat so that we could look more and more like Jesus by getting engaged in doing the hard things that we don't want to do in order that we might become like Christ. That's his desire for you and for me. And he won't stop until we become like Christ. But until we do, you've got to remember that he's going to sit with you. Not going to leave you. Okay, I get it. I understand. He's there. You've said that. I'm worth something. He's trying to make me more like Christ. I know that up here, but in my heart of hearts, I don't really feel. I feel like God has left me. Maybe you feel that way. You wouldn't be the first person, nor will you be the last person to feel that way. How do we know? How do we know deep in our hearts? We know by faith and what we know and what we've seen and what we've heard in the character of God. But there, you know, Olive and Me, in our, in our uh, journey in, in home ownership, has been a constant uh, journey of decluttering our home, of things that we don't need. And for uh, a lot of times, Olivia will pull something out and say, hey, can we get rid of this? Can we curb alert this? Which means on our, uh, on our neighborhood uh, app, Uh, Let people know that this is going to the curb. We're going to leave it out there. Let someone pick it up if they want it. Otherwise, a trash man will come. Can we curb alert this? And sometimes we have uh, differences of opinion. What she thinks ought to get thrown out and what I think ought to get thrown out or what she thinks ought to get, get kept and what I think ought to get kept. And a lot of times it revolves around, you know, differing fashion sense. She thinks something is ugly and I think it's going to come back in style or I think it's cool right now. And she's like, no, that thing is just, that thing is destined for just ugliness forever, like fashion, uh, go send it to fashion purgatory. It's not going to work. And so now we have differences in that or, or, or differences in the in the usefulness of something. She thinks, oh, you know, this broken, I think, and maybe it could come in handy, the parts, or maybe we can fix it or something uh, 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 like that. And, and typically, whoever has the best argument wins, and we either keep it or, or we chuck it. But if there's something that Olive wants to get rid of, and I really want to keep it, here's my go-to argument. No, we can't. Olive, do you know how much I paid for that thing? And then she'll say, okay, you can keep it. It's so ugly, but you can keep it. And so we'll keep it. Because the more I paid for it, the more I want I don't want to just abandon it. I don't want to leave it. Listen, if, I, if it's ugly, if there are two equally ugly things, and this one I paid five cents for, and this one I paid $10 for, I, you can get rid of the cheap one. But this one I paid too much for. It's $10, it's a lot of money. I paid a lot for it. So can we please keep it? you know the worth of something or what you're willing to pay for it. How much gold could God have possibly given to pay for you and me? First Peter says that God didn't buy us with silver. God didn't buy us with gold. But he bought us with a treasure far more precious than metal. The precious blood of an untainted Savior, the Son of God, His beloved, said, this is what I pay in ransom for these who would be my children. It's your precious blood, Lamb of God. You died in suffering and shame upon the tree. Jesus Christ, the only one who didn't need to be refined in the fire was thrown into the fire. He was rejected in the fire so that we would never be. He was rejected in the fire in order that we might be refined in the fire. He was abandoned in order that we would never be left alone. God says, do you know what I paid in order to buy you back from destruction. That's how much I paid. I will never leave you. I will never leave you. I will never leave you. And even through the doorway of death, when you wake up, it won't be because I've left you. In fact, then you'll see. Then you'll see the fullest expression of what it means that I was always there and I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Let's pray. My friends, are you going through the fire this morning? Are you going through a fire that's challenging you? and I tell you that God is with you? That He's not mad at you. He's mad about you and He's willing to put you through a fire in order that His Son Jesus might be shaped and formed in you. God sits with you in order that you might become more like Jesus. God sits with you in order that He might purify you so that you might be freed from your burdens of sin. There's power in His blood. my Friends, if you're not going through a fire right now, there will come a time when there will be a fire that refines you in life. That time... Ah, my plea, my prayers, that you would not get angry at God, but that you would move towards him. One of the keys to life is knowing how to suffer well and to see God in the midst of the suffering. Because many times your ordinary days are days full of suffering. But we see God in the midst of it. We see his refining fire. Can we pray? Maybe you've prayed that prayer before. Lord, make me more like Jesus. For Father, whatever you need to do, Lord, do in me to make me more like your son. God will answer that prayer. He will answer that prayer very quickly because that's his desire for you also. He might not answer your prayer for financial prosperity quickly because that's not God's greatest aim for you. But if you have and do pray, Lord, make me more like you, he'll answer that. And maybe what you're going through right now is an expression of his answer to that prayer. Let's pray, Lord, through this, make me more like Jesus. Through this, help me to cling to you more. Through this, help me to be more and more like Jesus. Let's pray together for a few moments. If you're not going through this fire, pray, Lord, strengthen me, give me faith, faith proved of more worth than gold so that when I do go through the fire, I'd be able to stand well in it if you pray for yourself if there's others in your life that you care about even people that you don't care about who are going through the fire maybe god is calling you to care for them right now by praying for them praying for their families praying for your families praying for your people lord that you would refine us purify us make us more like jesus what areas of your life need to be surrendered to god If there's pride, if there's greed, if there's lust, if there's gossip, if there's just different sins. God is going to work on that. He's going to work on that so that you and I might look more like Jesus. Spend a couple moments praying to the Lord, responding to his word in faith that we might endure the fire well. Father in heaven, we thank you, thank you that you have loved us, thank you that even though we go through the fire, it doesn't compare to the unjust suffering and the unjust fire that our Savior Jesus went through. Teach us, mold us, help us to be more like you, Jesus. Father, help us not to pursue things that we want first and foremost, or that the world sells us, or may our priorities be the same as yours. Long to be more like Jesus. Lord, make us more like Jesus. like the world and more like Christ, but awaken us to see, awaken us to hear, sound the alarm, no longer live in sleepless and sleepful, soulful slumber, living how we want to, the way we want to live, while the world dies a slow and painful our children grow up with values that are twisted. Lord, make us more like Jesus. Lord, make us more